Welcome to the Model Vegas Show, where we talk with locals in the community to highlight one of my favorite things about Vegas, its people. Hey everybody and welcome to the Model Vegas Show on the Vegas Video Network. Thank you so much for listening and watching today. What is the Model Vegas Show you say? Well, it is a place where you will discover that Vegas is way more than the Strip, where you will meet some cool people and maybe you will learn a thing or two. I definitely think today that you will. Uh, today's guest is Courtney Dandy Fralick. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Nevada, and she currently owns and operates uh, the outpatient therapy agency in Las Vegas called the Healthy Foundations Center, <laughs> plural. Um, Courtney, I made my viewers, well, I made a promise to my viewers that I would always bring them the coolest guests, so thank you for joining us today, because right. you are well, very Thanks cool. for having me. Of course. Um, Courtney is currently pursuing her doctorate in marriage and family therapy, mental health, administration from North Central University. She plans to focus her dissertation on evaluating a program designed to support parents with children in foster care. And um, her clinical interests include expanding access to therapy in undertreated population, including parents with children in foster care and communities of color. Thank you again for being here. My first question. All right. Let's get right into it. Right. Uh, tell me why you got into the field of mental health. Okay, well, actually, it ties into some of the things that um, when you approached me, you asked me about about the homeless population. Um, I was actually working at the Shade Tree. Mm -hmm. um, I began my work at the Shade Tree as a um, children's, the youth advocate. Um, so I worked in the Children's Center. And um, what I basically did was create activities for the kids who live in the shelter. Mm -hmm. um, so I, it, was, it was kind of like camp for yeah. <laughs> kids in the homeless shelter. So during the holidays, we would do all the Christmas presents. When it was their birthday, we'd throw their parties. Um, we would do all the things, like after school, we would mm -hmm. help them with homework. We would do activities to keep them busy but um, between school time and when the day would end when they would have to go to their, um, to their rooms. Um, but while I was working there, um, the executive director at the time um, kind of earmarked me um, they had received a grant from, um, I think, United Way. Mm -hmm. And the grant was to add two new caseworkers to the shelter. The caseworkers were going to be specifically mental health caseworkers. Mm -hmm. The caseworkers were going to focus on the mental health population within the homeless shelter. So um, she posted it internally. No one applied for it. I was unaware that she wanted me to apply for it. So when the date closed, she came mm -hmm. to me and she was like, why didn't you apply for the mental health caseworker job? And I was like, because I have a job. Mm -hmm. in the children's center <laughs> and she was like well um actually when i posted it i really was posting it hoping that you would apply for it because of the skills that i've seen you have mm -hmm. with the um with the women in the shelter i had never worked in mental health at that point um i had no interest, interest. in working in mental health um i really was just trying to be a nice person working with people in the shelter mm -hmm. um <laughs> and so i went ahead and i um applied for it I guess ceremoniously because mm -hmm. she wanted to give it right. to me anyway. Um, and I received the um, kind of the, um, I received the entry level position, so mm -hmm. the caseworker. And then there was a case manager who supervised me. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. um, that case manager had a lot of <laughs> stuff going on in her life. So mm -hmm. I really got a, um, a like 
in the fire learning experience. Like it was no, she was not available. Just thrown right in. I was thrown in. She was not available to answer my questions. She was not trying to hear what I was trying to say. She mm-hmm. wasn't trying to help me. Um, I had some other staff, supervisory staff at the shelter that had some experience with mental health population that I could go to mm-hmm. for support. But honestly, I just kind of got in there, got my feet wet, did what I needed to do. Um, I'm always the kind of person who thinks outside of the box anyway. So mm-hmm. I did things that was, were necessary for my clients. Um, and my clients would always say um, when I would be prof- um, creating their case plans, mm-hmm. like you have mental health issues. You need to get a counselor. You need to go to the psychiatrist. You need to get on meds. That's part of how we're going to get you stable you right. know, and out of the shelter. And they would say, oh, I don't need a counselor. I have you. And I'm like, I'm not a counselor. I'm a caseworker. So I'm going to need you to go get a counselor. And so it kind of was a situation where people said it enough that right. I was like, hmm, That's I need to get a master's degree anyway. Maybe I can get a master's yeah. in counseling. And so um, luckily, um, the University of Phoenix right. was available. And um, I signed up. I started my programming. Mm-hmm. And the rest is has written itself. So people saw the potential in you and they were planting little seeds. Definitely. And, and, I, and, I, and honestly, I've never been the kind of person that really plans things. Um, I'm you? not a planner. I am not a planner at all. I'm the kind of person who Fly by keeps myself prepared for any opportunity that presents itself. So it basically was an opportunity that was presenting itself. I had started a master's degree that I quit Mm -hmm. because I didn't like it. Um, I was doing a master's in um, education and it was boring and I hated every piece of it. And so I stopped and Mm -hmm. I was like, well, what whatever I'm supposed to do will come to me. So I'm just going to chill and just going to do what I do. And then eventually I will find my place. And so it was through knowing yeah. people that I knew at the shelter. It was through my interaction with my clients at the shelter that I kind of found. I fell you into found my your place. Yeah, definitely found your place. Um, and speaking of your place, mm-hmm. the Healthy Foundation Center. Tell me a little bit about what you guys do there. What kind of services you offer okay. in the community? Well, the Healthy Foundation Center started as a um, really a vision. Um, between myself and um, some partners mm-hmm. that we wanted to, that we, we were, had experienced that people were making it so difficult. Um, everyone's had this experience. You work for people and sometimes you have great people you work under. Sometimes you have not so great people you work mm-hmm. under. We and, all know that. Right. And a <laughs> lot of times what happens is you experience things and you're like, why does it have to be so hard? Mm-hmm. It seems so straightforward. Why is it so difficult? And so we kind of got together, myself and a couple of other people, and said it does not have to be that hard. Mm. So we all worked together at another company, and we um, basically branched off to create the Healthy Foundation Center with the vision that it does not have to be that hard, Mm -hmm. that what we want to do is provide good quality services to people in the community. And we also kind of had the sub Mm. kind of uh, idea that we wanted to create a safe haven not only for clients of color, mm-hmm. um, but also for um, professionals of color. Because racism and prejudice affect us on all levels. Mm-hmm. So it affects us as professionals who are non-white therapists. It, and then it also affects our clients who are non-white clients seeking services. Mm-hmm. So it kind of is a twofold kind of situation. So we, um, we obviously have professionals within our agency of all races and background. But we um, we do take special care to mm-hmm. be culturally competent 
therapist. So that is why our agency is LGBTQ friendly. Mm-hmm. That is why our agency is um, friendly to people who kind of have alternative lifestyles. That is why our agency is friendly to communities don't, that don't normally access mental health care. Mm-hmm. So what we do, we are outpatient therapy. We do individual family and group counseling. Um, and then we also have a new program that we have started, which is a walk-in clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, traditionally, it's hard to get into a therapist. You call a therapist. Um, a lot of therapists work in private practice, so they answer their own phones. They make their own appointments. They see all their clients. They do mm-hmm. their billing. It takes a lot. So to get a, an appointment, it may take two weeks to get into a therapist. It may take longer. So the walk-in clinic is unique. You do not need an appointment. You just walk right you in. You just walk right in. So every Monday from 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. to 8 p.m. at the Healthy Foundation Center, um, 6871 West Charleston Boulevard, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89117. Um, Girl, you didn't even give me a chance to <laughs> tell you to plug it in. Hey, you can plug it again. We got to plug it as many times as possible. Somebody missed it. Um, so we, Can you tell she has a radio show? <laughs> so we do, um, you just walk in, you can get fast track med appointments mm. as well as see a counselor. The idea is kind of brief counseling. Mm -hmm. So it's a one and done. It's kind of like the equivalent of urgent care. Mm -hmm. When you have an issue, um, for those of you who know me, I had strep throat last week. So I didn't have to make an appointment to urgent care. I just go to urgent care. I sit there and wait. They diagnose me, treat my issue, and then they send me on my Mm -hmm. way. And they Mm -hmm. say, if you need any further support, either come back or go see your um, your primary care doctor. But mental health and this is, is not the, always that way. Right. right. So this is an opportunity to do it on the mental health side. You mm-hmm. walk in, we talk about what's going on, yep. we give you some strategies, and then if you feel like you need ongoing therapy, mm-hmm. please see the receptionist, we can set you up with a therapist. If you feel like this was good, for some people, just going one time is good. Right. They go, they they let it out, they get some strategies together, they move on with their life. Then the, for those people, you come back when you feel like you need it again. Mm-hmm. And so it's an opportunity. It's low cost. Um, and then you don't have to get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. What people don't realize with insurance sometimes is that when you use your insurance for mental health, mm-hmm. The insurance company needs a diagnosis to mm. pay your claim, to pay your med. That's why I did not know yeah. that. So, and if if you ever notice when you go to the medical, like when you go yeah. to urgent care, right. they give you that handout, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Oh, I hurt my ankle," and then it's like some weird medical word about your mm. the tendons in your right. and whatever. That's the that's the um, diagnosis they gave so that your insurance pays the claim. Mm. The same is true for mental health. However, mental health is a very under. Um, understood in our community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what happens is you go to um, see a therapist. Mm-hmm. Now there's a record of your mental health diagnosis. Right. And depending on how people are using that, mm-hmm. it can be used against you. Right. And so we offer a cash pay option where there is no record, there's no record. of your treatment other mm-hmm. than your file in our office. And mm-hmm. so um, it's a good option for people um, it's great to have insurance, but mm-hmm. there's still some things that we are trying to figure out because right. of um, the stigma around right. mental health. Yeah. So um, that's one of our biggest um, programs we're trying to push right now. Um, and like I said, you can get fast track medication management mm-hmm. as well, where um, you come in to urgent care. We may not have the psychiatrist there to see you right now, but we can mm-hmm. get you an appointment within the week to either see a psychiatrist or a nurse practitioner. So um, it's really a good opportunity for people to meet the need of mental health crisis Mm -hmm. and concern in the moment and not have to wait. And And not have that fear behind them that, you know, oh, I'm going to tell somebody everything and then it's going to be documented. Yeah. And it's going to be used against me. And I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah. That that, that's an option. Yeah. And and it's hard because um, we we always talk about insurance, insurance, Mm -hmm. insurance. 
And and yes, insurance is important, right. but we are still working out how do we navigate the murkiness of what um, mental health diagnoses and substance mm-hmm. abuse treatment can do to people um, when they hold certain positions, mm-hmm. when they, um, you know, you know, when they are just certain people in the community. So it's important to know that there are other options out there. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. So you keep leading me to my next uh, thought, which uh, so I love the place that you guys have this safe place for anyone mm-hmm. to walk into um, LGBT community. Um you know, any, but any kind of cult, any culture, yes. ethnicity. Uh, now, I know that, you know, I'm Armenian, mm-hmm. I'm Middle Eastern, Lebanese, Armenian. And in our culture, I don't think that my grandparents knew anything about taking care of mental health. Yeah. I don't even think that my parents know anything about that. Maybe now my mom does, but not back in the day for sure. Yeah. So that must be challenging because it's there's still this taboo still right i know we've gotten a lot better but how do you navigate that yeah well first of all part of it is like i said creating a safe haven um we have to um provide spaces where people feel comfortable coming Mm -hmm. in um and when you come to our agency it's not like a stuffy therapy agency where it's clinical and it feels like a doctor's office it feels like, honestly, I say it feels like a clubhouse. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a good description <laughs> of it, but it's there. It's therapists and professionals kind of, um, kind of just around. Yeah. Clients come in. Um, we know not only the clients on our caseload, but we know clients on other people's caseloads. We, we, you know, we talk to people in the front office. You know, someone's sitting in the lobby. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know that they've been they've been a client for a long time. I stop and chat. Hey, how are you feeling? Is everything going good with your mm-hmm. services? Um, you know, so we kind of create an environment where it's not like um, you have to feel afraid to connect and talk to people. Connection right. is a big part of it. We always say that when you come to the Healthy Foundation Center, we join your team. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a, a situation where whatever it is that you're going through, we're now going through it with you. Mm-hmm. So that's big because with communities of color especially, um, they get overdiagnosed, they mm-hmm. get overmedicated, um, and they get abused within the medical and mental health community. So mm-hmm. realizing that, first of all, they're in charge. They don't join my team. I join your team. So whatever direction you're trying to go is where we're going to go. We will give you um, guidance um, based on our clinical experience, but ultimately I can't make you do anything and I'm not going to try to make you do anything. I'm going to respect your wishes and what you need to do. So part of it is that the other part of it is just the act of being a therapist of color. Mm -hmm. Part of it is people want to see people who look like them. Yeah. And who experience life like them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, For a lot of people, and especially in today's um, kind of political and racial climate, for example, a a black person coming into therapy does not want to have to explain to their white therapist why they are now anxious and having a panic attack because they got pulled over by the police. Mm -hmm. Because a therapist of color already understands the history and backstory, whereas a lot of times... Um, clinicians that are not of color don't get it. They don't understand what the the baggage is of that. So you make sure you match people, right? Accordingly. So we well we we make sure that we match accordingly, but mm-hmm. we also make sure that um, understanding that mm-hmm. is not just the responsibility of my therapist of color. Right. When you go other places, you'll notice that there are there is low cultural competency mm-hmm. um, among white therapists. 
white therapists often think, and I know I'm going to make some white therapists mad out there. If this ain't you, then let it fly. But if a lot of white therapists feel like cultural competency is a mm. class we take and a CEU that we update here and there when there's a, when there's a training in the community. Mm-hmm. No, cultural competency is every day, every time you experience your client. And so I think having um, therapists of all backgrounds, mm-hmm. Hispanic backgrounds, Middle Eastern backgrounds, right. you know, Asian backgrounds, the more we are in the pot, the more where our voices are in the conversations right. about how do we deliver deliver mental health services. So the more our communities get better service. Mm-hmm. And so really it's more, it's, it's, it's kind of the tone we set is kind of how we address it. But also I train students. I have about six students right now training under mm-hmm. me who are in their master's program. And um, cultural competency competency is a part of our conversations when we talk about our cases. If you, um, I had a um, student staff a case one time Mm -hmm. um, where they were seeing someone who was an African-American male um, in their 40s who had been incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And they did a whole case presentation and nothing in the case presentation addressed the fact that he is institutionalized by a system that um, disproportionately imprisons people of color Mm -hmm. that is a thing Mm -hmm. that he experiences that is a thing that he has to live with Mm -hmm. that is a thing that his family grapples with that is a thing you have to talk about in therapy right and when he can't sleep it under the right and when he would bring those things up the therapist was not comfortable and not addressing and wouldn't address it would shy away from it Mm -hmm. so we have to do better as therapists Mm -hmm. of realizing that um we cannot ignore people's lived experiences that are related to their race and culture we've gotten a little better um for whatever reason we've gotten better with sexuality Mm -hmm. um i know that in the therapy community Mm -hmm. uh if you sometimes it feels very weird because people have it's kind of like we stopped doing work to be comfortable with people's cultural and ethnic backgrounds Mm -hmm. and we just breeze past it now and we go right to sexuality (laughs) like you have whole therapists who are unwilling to accept the lived experience of um, Hispanic people who are afraid that their family members are going to get taken away from ICE, but Mm -hmm. they will ask a client when they come in, what are your preferred pronouns? I'm not saying that that's bad. What I'm saying is, is that we have to do better for the communities of color as well. Right. And so we try to be at least a beacon in the community that does that. Sounds like you are. (laughs) Um, I I do want to, I do want to advocate for people who are in a situation. So like, I want you to kind of give advice for someone like, let's just say John. Okay. Uh, or no, Jane wants to go to therapy, but her husband, John's like, no, I'm not doing it. And that's cultural, right? Mm-hmm. It could be this still taboo. What kind of advice would you give to Jane? And it could even be like uh, a daughter and a mother. It can be, it can be all, but yeah, the person that walks into your door is obviously open to it at that point because they're walking in. But what about the family member that they really need that support from to even come in for a session? Yeah. You know, how do you talk to your um, your client or your patient about, I don't want to say convince, mm-hmm. but kind of have the other person open up to it, yeah. you know? Well, it depends because... Um you can only control yourself. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what we do, um, I'm a family therapist. That doesn't necessarily mean that I have to see a family to treat you from a family systems perspective. Yeah. So that's a misconception. People think that 
um, you know, when I tell people I'm a family therapist, they say, oh, I'm not here with my family. It's just me. And I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's good. We're good. Um, <laughs> the, the systemic perspective is such that I look at you not as just a person floating in the world as mm. an island. I look at you as a person mm. who is a piece of a system. So your system includes your family, your system includes your community, your mm -hmm. system includes may include um, your cultural background, it may include some hobbies, you right. know, um, it, it's all these things that make up who you are. The beauty is, is that when we treat you from a systemic perspective, mm -hmm. yes, it is nice if I have those other people that support you or that are part of the system um, in therapy with you, but mm -hmm. the reality is, is most of the time I don't have those people. So what it, what we do is we um, work for you to recognize things mm -hmm. within your systems that are holding you back, and we always keep the invitation open. Mm. So we don't really convince people to come mm -hmm. to therapy because anybody being convinced to come to therapy is not going to get anything out of it for the most part. Um, so it, it's, it's an unnecessary battle. Um, yeah. But so, it does yeah. help that the party that's going in mm – -hmm. Even if nobody else is. Because I remember you yeah. telling me something about yeah, this before. Because, it does help the entire situation. Right. Because if yeah. you think about it, um, think about it like a glass of water. If mm -hmm. you put a drop of food coloring in a glass of water, mm -hmm. yes, you put the drop of food coloring on this side, but the whole water is colored. Right. Because it affects the whole glass of water. When somebody comes to therapy, their shifting shifts their system. Mm -hmm. So either it's going to shift their system such that the system will want to um, move in alignment with the person who is now shifting, or it's going to shift the system so that in the person direction. is going to go in another direction. But either mm. way, there's going to be a shift. There's not really... John Gottman yeah. says that he can, through his research, can um, predict mm -hmm. um, divorces. So he, he feels like he can... His really? research says that he can predict the shifting and what will mm -hmm. happen. But for the most part... A lay therapist doesn't know. Like, just right. me randomly in my office, I don't know. All I can do is um, really kind of help the person meet their goals. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully, if it's a relationship that it's someone who loves them, they will want to be supportive because right. they love them. And a lot of times that happens. A right. lot of times, um, you know, we have pretty high um, percentage of participation of parents. Mm -hmm. um, often parents are hard to get involved because people take their kids to therapy and they're like, take them to my kid. <laughs> um, we have a pretty good um, rate of parental participation. Mm -hmm. um, but part of that is because how we engage, we don't engage like somebody has to be the problem and, right. you know, we need to blame you and blame this person. It really is. You have a goal. Let us join the team so we can help you get to that goal. Yeah. So really that's kind of how we approach it. Mm -hmm. But I'm really big on, um, I don't need to force people. Right. I will take your word for it. If this is the only side of the story I get, yeah. then this is what I work with. Well, I mean, things are going to shift regardless, right? Right. So if someone doesn't go to therapy, their life is going to be a roller coaster anyway. It's going to shift all yeah, over the place. Definitely. So it's like, might as well, if anything, if you go and get, you know, go speak to somebody about what's going on, it might shift in the right direction, exactly. right? Exactly. So that's how exactly. I see it. Um, okay. So we've learned a lot already. So, <laughs> but... I wanted to kind of touch on the homeless community um, in Vegas. We all know it's been an issue for quite some time, but this past July, the Clark County NV.gov uh, released the 2019 Southern Nevada homeless census and reported that just 
over 5,000 homeless people are living in shelters or on the streets. Um, apparently, uh, this was a decrease, is what it said, uh, from last year by 13%, which, to be honest with you, I'm a little surprised about that. I was shocked. I'm curious how, what you think about that. But yeah. I don't know. Well, um, like- I think uh, it, it's a possibility it's decreased. I yeah. know that I have... Um, not that I have direct knowledge or anything, but from reading the newspaper and kind of um, on the um, just watching news and things, I know that there have been some shifts in um, some things at the VA. Mm-hmm. So there might be some veterans programs that have opened up. Um, but also I know um, the numbers may be a little tainted because um, I know also part of what was happening is there's a busing program. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they will bus you back to where your family lives. So I'm sure that got rid of people. So, mm. um, you know, so there's like that kind of thing, too, that happens. That's, and and that. that's a part of the homeless oh, population. Wow. Um, when yeah. I was working in the Shade Street, there was mm-hmm. a program that you could apply to. So let's say you came to Vegas, mm-hmm. you are living on the streets, you're in a shelter, mm-hmm. but your family's in Indiana. They'll pay for a bus ticket to send you back to Indiana. To, yeah. Um, so that in could the be. past, that has been abused by mm-hmm. um, people in power. So I'm not sure actually how legit yeah it was but i know that that is one of the programs that tends to resurface right. here and there in the homeless population um and so yeah there's obviously been an issue there's no doubt about that if you live in las vegas you already know about it um and last week an ordinance was passed uh, that bans homeless people now from sleeping on some of the streets specific streets um especially downtown actually uh, they can be potentially arrested and charged with a misdemeanor. The goal is really to get them out of the shelter. I mean, to, I'm sorry, to get them into a shelter. But the problem is many of the shelters are crowded um, and too full. Uh, critics are calling this a war on the poor. And so the reason why I'm even bringing this up is because there is a mental health importance in the homeless community. And I just kind of want to touch on that. Um, and what your opinion is right. on the matter. Well, part of the problem with the ordinance is I think it um is I think it 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 kind of is backwards. Mm-hmm. Um because if anybody anybody who's taken a psychology one oh one class knows about how um Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. You cannot attain any higher level functioning if your basic needs are not met. So unfortunately what happens is we do these things where we criminalize and we penalize and we create more challenges for people to not be homeless. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like you got to put you got to create something to stop them from being homeless that is not creating an extra barrier to get them to do other things. You can't it's it's hard because in our society you need money to get an apartment. But really, if you had an apartment, it would put you in a better position to get a job. Right. So it kind of I think it's a complex problem. Mm -hmm. And I think um, the powers that be bend to the pressure of, you know, we're a tourist town. Um, We're not the only game in the in, in, you know, in the in the system now because gambling is opening up across Mm -hmm. the country. Um, So we're trying to do things to bring in new crowds and it affects businesses downtown, which I completely understand. Yeah. But I think um, the issue is, is that you can't um, the shelter is not the answer for everyone. Right. 
So if you have a pet, the shelter is not the answer. Mm -hmm. If you are transgender, the shelter is not the answer because Mm -hmm. what shelter do you go to? Mm -hmm. If you are mentally ill and you're on medications, the shelter may not be the answer because depending on what medications you are on, you cannot bring them into the shelter. Um, If you are mentally ill and Mm -hmm. off medications, the shelter might not be an answer because you might not be safe to be in a population with people in such close proximity. So I think it's it's important to talk about the mental health um, component, but I mm-hmm. think it's even bigger than mental health because people who are homeless are not homeless for no reason. Right. There's a reason that they are on the streets. We need to address the reasons that they're on the streets. When I was in the shelter population working, mm-hmm. a lot of times why people would stay on the streets is because if I have a partner, mm-hmm. I don't want to go to the women's shelter and my partner goes to the male shelter. What shelter respects the fact that we live as a couple or mm-hmm. that we are married? What shelter respects the fact that we have a whole family? Right. It's me, my husband, and my 15-year-old. So my 15-year-old and my wife have to go to one shelter, and I have to go to another shelter. Mm-hmm. What shelter respects the fact that um, I hear voices and um, I may be inappropriate to be in close proximity up to people? Mm-hmm. So when I go into the shelter, what happens is I create a disruption, then I get 86 from the shelter. So now when the police find me on the street and they try to send me to a shelter, mm-hmm. I can't go to a shelter. I have been 86. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's, it's definitely mental health is a piece of it, but I think it's such a complex problem. Mm-hmm. It needs a lot more hands in the fire. Not yeah. just the businesses need to be the ones talking. That leads me into real quick. Cause we only got a minute left is, uh, can you just tell us, or can you give me a little peek about how you guys are helping with the homeless community in regards to mental health in the community? Yes, we are in the process of trying to put together, um, I have a nonprofit Mm -hmm. um, that I sit on the board of, um, and we are in the process of trying to create an option Mm -hmm. um, to add into the mix of the shelter population. So some programming that will be, um, it'll come from a different kind of perspective because definitely it'll be created by mental health professionals, but really giving people um, access to um, some safety, some services, um, and be a way to kind of, for those who are motivated mm. to move past homelessness, will be kind of a way to give them that in a different way. Shelters are a little restrictive. They have curfews. They have a whole bunch of stuff. Do they get on. a mental health evaluation? Um, they will have access to mental health services through okay. the program. Oh, good, good. Okay, yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah, so taking away some of the barriers yeah. as well yeah. um, for people in the homeless population. Well, that wraps up the show. I'm so happy that you came here today. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you much. Um, I've known you for a long time. And we um, you were there with me from the very beginning when yes. I first started this little endeavor with yes, yes. my TV shows and podcasts. So it's very special to have you here today. Well, and um, I definitely think we learned some stuff. I don't know. What do you think? I think so. Um, so that wraps up the show. Thank you so much. And um, if you want to learn more about my upcoming shows and guests, Follow me on my social media at Maral Vegas. That's M-A-R-A-L-V-E-G-A-S. Where can people find out about the Healthy Foundation Center? Um, the Healthy Foundation Center, you can Google us. Um, Healthy <laughs> Foundation, I think it's the Healthy Foundation Center, uh, healthyfoundations.center. And then um, 702-489-2117 if you have any questions. Okay. And um, be sure to tell all your friends, guys, about the Model Vegas show and where it can be found in the following places. It's a mouthful. So iTunes, Roku, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, iHeart. 
uh, radio, Pandora, Google Play, Twitter, Facebook, any RSS reader, and of course, the Vegas Video Network at thevegasvideonetwork.com. See you soon. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.